Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Lord, I just take a minute and if people at home, maybe they're praying for the people around them or maybe the, the people that they know that, they, that you've put on their heart. And so right now we pray for the people who are around us that they could hear your word, that you would would, uh, minister, serve, be the one who speaks into their hearts and also, Lord, into our hearts. So open us up to all that you would have for us in your word today. Uh, Jesus, use my lips and my tongue, Lord. May you continue to increase in all our lives And we'll say thank you, Jesus. Amen? You may be seated. So it's good to see you. We have the children's section over here. It's kind of cool. So James chapter 4 is where we are right now. And I'm wondering, do you guys ever get into fights? Do you ever have some conflicts? Maybe a little conflict once in a while? You guys have a disagreement? Because this, this... section begins, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And I know when you have that question, I know how probably some of you are answering it. They do. (laughs) It's, I would be fine if it wasn't for those people I work with, right? Right? If If my spouse would just be different, we would never fight, right? If they would just see things my way, Everything would be good, wouldn't it? I mean, when the, think about the last time you had a fight, last time you had a disagreement. It could be a roommate, coworker, spouse, child, grown child, parent. What was it about? What did you fight about? And, and what, what was going on during that time? Did you resolve it? Look what James says. He says, what causes quarrels... And what causes fights among you? Notice he didn't say, is it not the person that you're fighting with? He says, is it not your passions at war within you? Isn't that interesting? He's saying the problem isn't outside of you, it's inside of you. Kind of fascinating. One counselor, Esther Perel, she said that most couples fight about, like underneath the fight. It's not about squeezing the toothpaste or, you know, whatever. Underneath the fight, most couples fight about these core issues, power and control, care and closeness, respect and recognition. And, you know, I, I don't think it's just couples, right? I mean, in the office, we would like to feel like our company cares for us. And when we don't feel we're being cared for, when we're being used or taken advantage of, it causes issues, doesn't it? Right? I mean, or if your boss is disrespectful, do you like that? Does it feel good to be that? No. So even though it's couples, I think it works in, in all different situations. These are like the undergirding. And I think James knows this. He's going, what's going on? And when you and I are, are having disagreements, arguments, and fights, I think it's always helpful to tap into what's really bothering me here. What is the, the real issue that's going on? And, and I'm curious, do you guys know your anger style? Like, I, I believe there's those who blow and those who stuff. There are those who are more aggressive and there are those who typically are passive-aggressive. 
There is a third anger style, and those are people who, are, who deny all their feelings, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, so you've got the uh, aggressive and passive-aggressive people. I remember I was talking to somebody, and he said, yeah, my wife and I, we didn't talk for three months. That's passive-aggressive, isn't it? You, yeah, yeah, on steroids. I think it's important to know your anger style. Do you, do you, do you have, are you a person that people know when you're angry? Like you blow up, there's shrapnel everywhere, and you kind of try to repair it. Is that you? Or are you passive-aggressive where you just withdraw from them? And you make them pay. You make them pay over time. You might act out in one way or another. You know, I, I think God would have us all be just assertive. So the aggressive person, back up. The passive-aggressive, stick your hand in the fan. Like, move in. Enter the tunnel of turmoil. Like, go in and, and be assertive. I, I think it's, the uh, Bible says, speak the truth in love. You know, being able to, to bring it out there, no matter what the consequences is. Know your anger style and work for it. it you know, the more I think about it, many of my uh, conflicts have best been resolved when I listen. And can I say this is one of the most difficult things to do? I mean, to truly get inside the world of the person that you're having a conflict with and say, can I just... You know, I may, I may disagree with you, but I really want to try to understand your point and understand you. I, I, again, this is, this is very difficult. It takes the spirit of God. It takes self-control because you got to hold back everything that goes, but wait, because uh, you want that person to understand you. But they want to be understood so much. And so I found that many times in work situations and in marriage situations and in parent-children situations, no matter what age, both parties just want to be heard and understood. And a lot of times you can end up still disagreeing, but as long as the parties know that they're understood, it's like wicked off a lot of the, the emotion. It's like, well, we still have some disagreements, but at least I know they see my perspective and get it. Right? Please hear me. And in order to do that, you got to know what's going on inside of you. You got to know the war that's happening. And he says, Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you murder. Now, do you think in James' day they were just killing each other right and left? No, I think what he's talking about here is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount if you hate your brother or your sister, it's like it's, it's as if you've broken the law, thou shalt not kill. You, know, you had people walking around that day that thought, I'm pretty good. I don't kill anybody. I got that law down. And Jesus is like, no, you kill people regularly in your heart. And James is tapping into this. He's going, you got these desires, you don't get it. So you just, you kill them in your heart. You, you, you covet and you can't obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does it mean to ask? Like, what is he talking about? You do not have, you do not ask. What do we call this kind of communication in the church? You do not have, you do not ask. You know what it is called? Prayer. Prayer. That's what he's talking about here, praying. I had a pastor who mentored me for, for a, a while in my life, and he would say, Doug, there's two, two ways to get the things you want. One is ministry, and one is manipulation. You can manipulate the situations and the people to work out the things that you want, or ministry would be service, and ministry would be prayer. 
And ministry, he says, is the slow way, but it's the peaceable way. The manipulation is just working things out for your good. Many times in relationships and in business and all, you know, we just manipulate our way through as opposed to ministry. And James is saying, hey, you, you should pray, but when you guys pray, you treat God like a vending machine. He says, you just have your stuff that you want, and so you just like ask God to, to give you all your stuff. There's nothing wrong with bringing your needs before God, but when it's all about me and my selfishness, James is saying, he's not answering that. God's not a vending machine. One author said, the purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to do what we want. It actually, it's actually a means by which we align ourselves to his priorities. Part of the point of prayer is to remind ourselves of what God wants. Another commentator said, you know, the problem that James is pointing out here and why we have a lot of fights is our prayerlessness. You have not because you ask not. He says, prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength, for their own sake, under their own authority. Prayerlessness arises from a sense of independence from God. So instead of praying about our desires, we indulge them. Rather than trusting in the Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, we ourselves decide what's good and we seek to gain it through our own efforts. And he would say prayerlessness is the problem. But prayer brings us in line with God. So when you think about that last fight or you think about your desires, have you ever said, God, here they are. Here's those passions. Yeah, I think too often we treat people as a vehicle or an obstacle. A vehicle or an obstacle. Do you know what I mean? You're a vehicle if you're going to help me get what I want. And if you don't help me, you're an obstacle and I have to get you out of the way so I can get what I want. How are you treating people? What are the things you want? What drives you the most? And then he goes on with this scathing rebuke. You adulterous people. What is he saying there? He's saying, you know, one of the ways that the Bible talks about our relationship with Christ is a marriage relationship. And he's saying, you are married to God, but you're not being faithful to him. You're an adulterer. And he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You know, in the, in the Greek language, you have different words for love. And the you have the, the love of God, right? You have the erotic love, and then you have the friendship love. And they use the friendship love here. And I think when we read this, I think sometimes we can, we can kind of water down how, what it's really saying because we're like, oh, friends, friends. But no, this is like a deep, loving friendship. He says, don't you know that this kind of love with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend, to, to love the world, makes himself an enemy of God. This is a powerful illustration, isn't it? I mean, how often do you think of yourself as in a marriage relationship with Christ? I mean, is that even in your daily thoughts? Like, like I'm connected. Like, I, I'm the bride of Christ. Guys, 
We're the bride of Christ. You know, in my mind, this is a, it's a powerful image because, I don't know, 15 or more years ago, and sorry if this is embarrassing, Gretchen. One time, Gretchen and I had had like a marital adjustment. That's what I call our <clears throat> stuff. And, um, and we were in this marital adjustment, and uh, I was jogging post-adjustment. And in my mind, I don't know about you, but do you ever have conversations with people that aren't there? I was definitely having a conversation, complaining, just, it was just, you know, going over. And out of the blue, a voice from somewhere outside of me breaks into my depressing thoughts and says, I understand how you feel because I married you. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like just taken out of my complaining and, and I see myself in my relationship with God, and immediately Hosea, the book of Hosea comes to mind, where God, you know, tells Hosea to marry somebody unfaithful. And he says, your marriage is going to be an illustration of my relationship with the church. And immediately I'm thinking, Lord, I don't love you as I should. I don't follow you as I should. I don't treat you as I should. Because you know what I needed at that time? Humbled. You know, when you're complaining about somebody else, where are you in terms of them? I'm better, right? I'm better. You think you're better because you're looking down and you're complaining and you're doing that. And the Lord knew what I needed. He needed to squish me. And this marriage illustration, this marriage imagery squished me. Because let me tell you, you when God married the church, when God married you, he married the 700-pound gorilla. But he loves you and he cherishes you. And he washes you, and he's transforming you into, into his beautiful bride. But when I see myself as I am, I needed humbled. And I got squished and humbled. And then jogging around this track, which is like 20 laps a mile, they switch it every day so your one leg doesn't get short. And, and, I, and I'm jogging, and then this thought comes into my head, but I would choose you all over again. I love you. You're mine. And then the next thought was, you give that to your wife. This is such a beautiful imagery. This is how we work on our hearts. When we're feeling better than others, we need to learn to humble ourselves. And then we need to learn to truly experience the grace and love and give that out. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? His je he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Now, this is a hard passage for the translators to translate because they're not exactly sure. Is it like, is it he jealously, his spirit jealously desires us? Or is it... He jealously desires to be in communion with, the, with our spirits. But either way, what is it saying? He desires us, right? He desires us. And what does a, a spouse who, has a, a, who is in love so much and their love isn't being returned, they're like, I want to have a relationship with you, right? And yet we love things, don't we? I mean, why does he call him an adulterer? Why would he call us an adulterer? Because we love things, and what we love, we serve. You know, you may say Jesus is Lord, but what you love, you serve. 
What you love, you spend your money on, right? What you love, you follow. What you love, you give excitement to. I was talking to a friend on the phone, and it was an enjoyable conversation. And then at the end, we were wrapping it up, and at the end, he said something like, you know what? I'm game for an adventure. And he's walked certain parts of the Appalachian Trail that I've walked, and he's like, I'm game for a bike ride or something. And you should see the excitement that came into my voice. I'm, oh, really? You know, it's like I became a new person, all excited. You know, and and w- because what I love, I'm excited about. What I love, I serve. What I love comes out of me. Isn't that the way it is? This book, Seculosity, that some of us have read, is all about how in our world, it's not that people aren't religious anymore. It's not that you and I aren't religious anymore. It's just what we're religious about, right? Seculosity is this, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, romance becomes our new, became our new religion and what to do about it. One quote from it says, fandom turns religious when it becomes a source not only of community, but of identity, meaning, and redemption, right? right? Our exercising, right, it, it becomes uh, uh, not a sense just to stay healthy, but when it becomes a place to find meaning, identity, and redemption, it becomes religious. My work, your work, when it becomes more than just a, some community, a way to make uh, support the family, when it becomes your identity and your meaning and your redemption, right? It becomes religious. And he knows this. He's like, when you love the world, you give yourself to that. And you make God your enemy. But he gives God greater grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. You know, the word submit, it's it's even hard for me to hear. Is it hard for you to hear? You know, Martin, you just need to submit, (laughs) right? What if I say, not another peep out of you? I know you guys want to say it, don't you? Peep, you want to, don't you? There's something that You know, like when somebody says submit, you're like, you can't make me, right? Not another peep out of you. But you know what helps me? When I see submission as God has created me to thrive in a certain environment, and that's in submission to his will. It's like the Lord is saying, you're a fish and you're made for water. Stay in the water, right? The fish doesn't go, well, we did have a fish that did jump out. And we came back from being gone for the weekend. It, 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 it should have submitted. It did not have a long life. That, what was that fish's name? Noah. Noah. Noah not a good fish. Um, yeah, because when we don't submit, it's like we're a fish out of water. And when I see submission in terms of, God, you created me to be here, to be under your, your authority, under your will. Like there's a way for me to be and live that's beautiful and perfect. Submission then is, it's much easier to do. I mean, it's never easy always because I think of Jesus. I mean, when he was facing the cross, what did he do? Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And yet... When he did submit, the scriptures say 
We should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him. That's the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what was the joy that was set before him? Was it time with the Father? No, it was us. Like he could connect with you and me. He took away the dividing wall. He, he, uh, he fulfilled the law so that we could have fellowship with him. We're his joy. And I'm so glad he stayed in the Father's will. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, I think people fall off the, the wagon in two ways. Some people see the devil everywhere and some people don't recognize him at all, right? Some people, the devil's made me do it, right? The devil's under everything and some people are like, no, and then, nah, they don't, they're not really in tune to the, the spiritual dimension and I believe that if we could see there are angels, there are demons, there is this spiritual world that is a reality around us. And, and what does this scripture say? It says resist. Does it say to punch, fight, or pay attention to the devil? No, resist. And you know how I think the devil works many times in our lives? It's our thoughts. Like our thought life is what's going on. And, and to resist those, sometimes, have you ever been hurt by somebody or maybe you've done something and you're ashamed of it and you think if you can just keep replaying your shameful event over and over and over in your mind, you'll fix it? It never does, right? Or you can replay or have these conversations. It, it doesn't. Sometimes resisting the devil is a choice. I am not going to think of that. And, and working on controlling your thoughts. I mean, do you remember in the last chapter he talked about wisdom and he said there's a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below and one of the ways he described that wisdom was demonic? So there's also thoughts in our world that like our world tells us that if we can get in touch with our deepest desires and live into them, that's the way, that's how we find our identity. That's how we discover who we are. But what uh, Tim Keller points out, he goes, my desires are in conflict. Like, I want to be healthy, right? But I also want to eat French fries. Who am I? Am I the French fry eater, right? Or am I the healthy guy? Can I tell you personally, in the morning, I'm the healthy guy, and at night, I'm the French fry eater. So I actually have two me's, right? And which one should I live into? See, we have desires in conflict. What we need is that voice from God that says, I'll tell you who you are. You're my child. You're the one I deeply love. And we live into the identity that God gives us. Do you see that? And so, so demonic many times are just the thoughts and the voices that come. And look what he says. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a psalm. In, uh, I, I'm going to guess like 73, but I could be wrong. Um, where this person says, my heart was almost deceived. I envied the wicked. I, 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 you know, they've got, they've, pride is their necklace. They've got no problems. And then towards the end of the psalm, it says, and then I went into the house of the Lord, and I saw things clearly. This is, I think, how it works in our lives. 
We've got these thoughts, these bitterness, these unforgiveness, this shame that just keeps going around inside of you, and, and you try to hold it at bay, and then you come into the house of the Lord. Because look, it says, here's your little exorcism. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near, and, and as you draw near, and, and maybe you've experienced this. I've experienced it many times. I come and, I, and I've got thoughts or burdens and, and it could be demonic even. And you come into worship and your attention turns on to the Lord. And there's this peace that passes understanding that fills your heart and mind. There's a, there's a, there's a, a change that happens. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, I was reminded when I was in college, a, a friend of mine, um, we ended up roommates. We were studying together, and a few other people, and we were studying in an area where they um, baked, they baked the bread. And I remember it smelled so good, and my friend excused himself, went, broke in, took bread, brought it back, and broke it with it. But it was stealing. And I remember I looked at him, I'm like, you know, that's stealing. And he's like, my tuition pays for it, you know. And when he, when he said that, it was this weirdest thing. His eyes changed. And I was like, am I, like, am I, am I seeing that? Like, you know, you just scratch your head. Did I just see that? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It looked, it was almost wolf-like eyes. It was a weird, it was a weird experience. And, um, and it just went back, and then a, a day or two later, we were worshiping. There was a group with Youth with a Mission uh, that came and had a worship service and testimonies and stuff. And then afterwards, me and a friend were just sitting there worshiping, and who would walk in but my, my buddy before he was a roommate, and, hey, can I join you? And we're like, sure. And as we worshiped, and just had a, I just put my hand on him as we're worshiping, and he was worshiping too, and... and he, and the next day, he says to me, I could tell God was doing something as he was worshiping. And he says to me, I was born again again. And there was truly a deliverance that went on in his life that night as he, as he started worshiping. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I love this. If I, if, if I just read this, and this is your first time in church, you might truly be depressed. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You know, when you read that, what does that do for you? Are you like this? I hate myself. Can you live up to your own standards? Is anybody here like... Set goals for yourself. Do you achieve all those goals 100% of the time? Now, God's standards are even higher. Anybody hit his standards? You know? Anybody not covet? Right? Anybody, you know, anybody not hate somebody or get angry? Like, sometimes you read that, and I would read that scripture, and I'd think, oh, I am so horrible. God just wants me to hate myself for my sinfulness. And I, I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think that does anything for your relationship with God and for your relationship with yourself. You, you, you know what I, I think he wants you to do? He wants us to see our sin and mourn our sin in light of him. So, so this is what goes on in your heart. Lord, I take my sin so lightly. 
I'm selfish. I think so easily about me and not of others. And that's what put you on the cross. And you died for that. Help me to mourn for that. You see, the more you are able to humble yourself with the gospel, the more you're able to be lifted up and loved by God. The more you love others, the more you appreciate him. If you're somebody that's like, oh, yeah, Jesus died for me, mourn. Turn your laughter to mourn. Like, like get in touch with how my sin, how your sin that you take so lightly, put him on the cross. Because the more you taste of that, the more you'll experience that lifting of being exalted. The more you'll get in touch with what Billy Graham said. It was not people or the Roman soldiers who put Jesus on the cross. It was your sin and my sin. It made it necessary for him to volunteer his death. The more I get in touch, the more you get in touch that we're so sinful, Jesus had to die for us and so loved that he chose to die. Like that's, like, like that's where you get this life and that's where you, you breathe in. How I want to end this is I just want to end, uh, I want to pray into this uh, worship song and have maybe the little exorcism going on in your heart. Have it just to turn your attention on to the Lord. If you've got quarrels or fighting within you, uh, if you've got stuff in there, just uh, get in touch with what's behind it and offer that to God. Turn, it, turn the song into worship and in, into prayer, not prayerlessness, but prayer time. Pray with me, Lord. We, uh, we're your sheep. You're the shepherd. Forgive us for taking so lightly the sin that you bore and chose to bore. Forgive us for thinking that we are so much better than the people that we've had disagreements with when you took us as enemies and made us your friends. Forgive us for loving the world in the things of the world and treating you like a, a spouse we don't want anymore. Have mercy on us, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.